Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the podcast for anyone who's ever felt the nagging frustration of wondering if her life is too small, too boring, or too ordinary to make a difference. We're here to explore the surprising ways that cultivating ordinary life leads to extraordinary stories. I'm Lisa Joe, tea drinker, lawyer in another life, and South African by birth, if you're wondering about the accent. I have three very loud kids, a husband who's never run through an airport to stop me getting on a flight, and I write about how to love your middle, the years and the muffin top both. And I'm Christy. Once upon a time, I got my PhD in English Lit, planning on a particular kind of life. But a few years later, I traded the classroom for a picket-fenced garden and an old farmhouse. Today, I write books, books about the beauty of the ground beneath my feet. I also grow zucchini my four kids refuse to eat. As always, we are recording out in Pennsylvania at Christie's 100-year-old farmhouse called Maplehurst. That's currently covered in scaffolding because of all the places it's falling apart. (laughs) Don't forget the holes in the porch. I know, and the smell of mushroom farms and manure. Right, because when we say out of the ordinary, we mean it. Our friendship, this farmhouse, and all our conversations grew out of small, ordinary, everyday moments. Because really, the truth is that everything big starts small. Get comfy. Here we go. We've been talking about how everything big starts small, but what about when even your small thing is lost (laughs) or broken? (laughs) So painful. (laughs) I know, we've lived both of those. We have. We're sort of living some of those still. I am, for sure. Uh, (laughs) What I like about that idea, though, for this conversation is it takes us back to the way back beginning. Okay. When we first met, which I believe you don't remember. According to you, I don't... (laughs) (laughs) So, you don't... So, it's funny. We both have entry point memories on this friendship. And yours seems to go back a little bit earlier than mine. So, I will grant you that. It was more traumatic for me, I think. (laughs) Okay, so we're all living in Chicago. This is 2001. Mm -hmm. It's winter 2001 because I remember that night being really cold. So it's like fall or winter. We're in Chicago. Peter and I are, we've been married a few years. We don't have kids yet. You and John don't have kids yet either. Pete and I are trying to find, really we're trying to find friends. So we're trying to find a church because we've just moved to the Chicago area. And we attend this church that you guys were going to, too. And then the pastor, our good friend, Rand, <laughs> announces how they're going to have, like, a night for newcomers. Come on out. Get to know the church. And he gives an address. And so Peter and I look at each other, and we think, ugh, we're going to do that awkward thing now where we go to this meetup for newcomers. Was it at our house? No. Oh, it was okay. at, like, a church apartment. But did the church oh, have he, an upstairs yes, apartment we, yes, somewhere? Yes, yes, we did. Yes. <laughs> so there's this tiny little apartment. And now we are imagining the entire evening is centered around newcomers. But I think what happened is that that slipped Rand's mind. <laughs> and what actually we showed up for was a meeting for church members to brainstorm like the future of the church, something quite deep that uh, newcomers should not know, be at. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> No wonder I've blocked it from my (laughs) memory. So we arrive at this event. Event is a big word. Really this small gathering of intimate (laughs) church members that we do not belong to. (laughs) And everyone is sort of surprised to see us, welcomes us in, and then we 
awkwardly proceed to sit in the back corner for the next 45 minutes while Peter gives me death glares because he is such an introvert and it's bad enough that we've shown up for this thing, That's so which awful. turns out not to be welcoming to newcomers. <laughs> really, rather the opposite of that, I would say. <laughs> and it was when the church was in its infancy. And I remember you talking about how often this sort of thing would happen. We have this great idea, but then it ends up being something else because there wasn't follow through sure, and nobody was yeah. really in charge of we it. Were, we were very young. We were, very we, new. we were all very we were young. We were all very young too, very young. The whole church leadership, I actually remember telling Rand, the pastor at one point, where are the grownups in this church? <laughs> there are no grownups. We're all in our early 20s. Nobody knows what they're doing. Yeah. So we show up at this event. I think there were donut holes and we sit in a corner and basically Peter leans over to me toward the end and says, we need to leave as soon as possible when this is done. And I am in 100% agreement. Like we need to get out. This is so weird. It's obviously too awkward to leave in the middle of the meeting, but by the end, it must, we need to split. The meeting ends, everybody troops downstairs. It was a second floor apartment. We come downstairs, we're on the street, it's very cold. And Pete and I are basically holding hands and ready to just book it out of there. However, your husband, Jonathan, <laughs> as he is famous for, loves people. He loves to meet people. He loves to talk to people. He is an extrovert's extrovert. He is not awkward or embarrassed. And he accosts us as we're trying to leave and just starts talking to us. And he is so friendly, it's impossible to leave. And before we knew it, we're having, our newcomers moment right on the street <laughs> with Jonathan, with Jonathan. <laughs> and he then invites us to your home group that you're hosting so that your church wow. has got this small group that meets in its home and John's by sheer force of personality, was able to overcome the awkwardness from before. And it's such a great takeaway that we leave thinking, wow, we, we got to go to their small group. So that is my first memory. And to be fair, I remember John better than you in that story, but I know you were there. I must have been, um, yeah. Because I remember John you know, saying to, you know, this is my wife, Christy, you got to come to our small group, et cetera, et cetera. I don't remember actually coming to the first official small group at your house, okay. but I remember that apartment really, really well yeah. in Chicago. I mean, first we were in this, you know, small group in the small apartment, and then you guys moved to a bigger space. And really that was the beginning of our friendship. Awkwardly, That's wild. We well, were you make me newcomer. You make me wish I did remember that, <laughs> and so I don't remember that, but I do remember that small group, and I remember gathering together, and I remember how much we loved, loved, loved so to fun. have people over, and so everyone great. sitting on the carpet. Yes, you know, there's never there enough, enough space, never enough space or right. chairs or. And I feel like in those little apartments, our our bathrooms were always really too close to the living room. <laughs> to the meeting space. Yeah. <laughs> so you couldn't even excuse yourself for a little break without. And I remember there are no elevators in those old oh, Chicago right. buildings. Walking and all those I stairs. remember when you had kids before I did, when you were at the second apartment, you just like going on this rant about your stroller and how frustrating it was because they wouldn't just let you leave the stroller at the bottom of the stairs. You had to right. try and fold it up and and I just kept thinking what is her problem just put the stroller out of the way and go up the <laughs> stairs what's your deal and then I had and children had and children. realized how stressful it is when you're carrying all these things and that's one of the things I remember from that apartment the whole stroller debacle that's funny <laughs> whereas I've pretty much forgotten that but we lived in a lot of little places but we always gathered people it was something that was a constant that whole time we lived in Chicago so yeah, this actually is a great segue because um, what happens when even that small thing is taken from you and community, I don't know if it was a small thing or a big thing, who can say? Um, it was just a constant and we enjoyed it and it was um, something wonderful all through our years of, of living in the city. 
And then when we left and moved to Florida, I just assumed that that good thing would continue because it was up to us, right? We just, we open the door, we invite people in, of course, we can do this and we can go on doing this. And um, that small thing was taken from us. And in Florida, for just a number of different reasons, the kind of community that we had grown so used to just was no longer possible. And it wasn't even one thing or another. It was just, you know, it was a hundred little things that just added up to living in a place and being in a season of life and being in a amongst a, a, a neighborhood in a city where no one was going to come over to our house anymore. It just never I can't ever even happened. imagine that. I cannot imagine you yeah. in a house that doesn't have a ton of people hanging out. I mean, when yeah. you guys were still in Chicago, you even became a dropping in point for us. So mm-hmm. then when we moved away and came back, anytime we passed through mm-hmm. there, we'd stay with you guys. You know, the interesting thing about it is that in losing it, I think I realized how big it was. Mm. It had just it had just been this small constant thing. Of course, we have people over. Of course, right. we have a, sm- a church small group in our home every week. And in losing it and not having it, and we did try, even on the small group level, we, we volunteered to host a small group and we invited people. This is embarrassing to admit, but we even ordered the, the books we were going to read. Oh. And I think, actually, if we go downstairs and look on the bookshelf, downstairs in the parlor. I think there are about a dozen little study books. I don't even remember what the topic, I don't remember what the book is, but I think there are 12 unused (laughs) study books or, you know, Florida year front that we ordered for this small group that never happened because no one came. Wow. Yeah. So I've still got those books. Um, I've known you over a decade and that's the first time I've heard you admit that story. Yeah, it's embarrassing. (laughs) It's painful though. (laughs) To think that we actually purchased the books, but in losing it or seeing the dream sort of crushed in that (laughs) painful way, I realized how much it mattered. Mm. And so community, the idea of it, it just like preoccupied me so much during those years that we lived in Florida. Like what was it and why did I care? And, and, And I realized one thing, is that it had made me feel valuable or good or productive in some way. Look at me doing this good thing for other people. And so when I could no longer do that, I had to ask myself, well, does God still love me (laughs) if he doesn't need me? (laughs) So anyway, it was a very clarifying time about community, but it did help me to realize that this that this was like non-negotiable in some way, that I wanted a future that had more community, not the less that I was living in Florida. And I think it reminds us how sometimes the things we've considered small Mm -hmm. in our lives, Mm -hmm. you know, you talked about in episode one, people gathering just on your tiny balcony, like two or three people at a time as opposed to hosting a larger community group. When we don't have them anymore, how big, big. a hole they yes. leave behind. Yes. And we had no community. We had few friends. And it did. It left a very big hole. Yeah. It's a hard place to be when you wonder, okay, God, you <laughs> you entrusted this gift to me or you built into my DNA the way mm-hmm. I'm wired to want to host people or have mm-hmm. them over. Mm-hmm. The small thing that is now turned out to be a big thing in my life what are you doing? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Because it feels like sometimes not just that it's gone, but that it actually got broken into mm-hmm. little pieces in the way that if mm-hmm. you host, you know, invite people to come over and you're willing to host them and you buy the books and then nobody mm-hmm. shows up, it doesn't mm-hmm. just feel 
taken away. It actually feels like it got deconstructed, like crumbled into tiny little breadcrumbs. Like, (laughs) it's so terrible. Right, right. Especially with that added level of like shame Shame and and humiliation. Humiliation, exactly. the thing you tried and let me just crumble it up right in front of you. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think uh, if that hadn't happened, and again, I'm not saying it had to happen this way, but you know, that's how it happened. And now I can look back and say, well, what was the result of that? And one result is that it was like a, it was like a break in our pattern. Like we had, we were used to how we did community in Chicago and then, and then that was broken and we stopped and we Mm. had practically no community. And the result was that what we picked up again later in terms of a dream, it wasn't a reality for a while, but when we began to, to dream about community, it was something new. It was something bigger. I'm going to use that word. It was bigger than what we had been living before. Like your dream for it was bigger? Yes. It had been remade, I think, by the experience of losing it. Yeah. So let me just clarify. How long did you guys live in Chicago? And then how long were you in Florida? We were in Chicago 10 years. Okay. Long time. Yeah. A long time. Yeah. A long time. Long enough that it had really felt like home. And then how long were you in Florida? We were only there two years. Okay. Um, but we it's didn't funny. know it would only be two years. Right? And it's <laughs> funny how little time it can take to break something yeah. into tiny bits and pieces yeah. in a way that's <laughs> that's really hard to then say, how do I put this back together again? Yeah. Can I? Yeah. Is it possible? Exactly. I can hardly say how the pieces started to come together. I, I've, I've tried to look back and think, well... Where did the dream come from? How did, you know, how did we start to dream it? The only thing I can remember, and it's not quite an answer, but it's all I've got, is that I had no friends. <laughs> I was so unhappy in Florida. And, in Florida. And I would take, I had three little kids at the time, and oh, I would take ugh. them to this park that was close to our house. It was a beautiful park that had actually been built on the side of this old orange farm, like orange growing farm and it, you know it was no longer a farm of course uh but the old farmhouse was there and the old barns were there where they had sorted the oranges and i guess kept horses and it was right on the river it was a really beautiful spot and i would take the kids there all the time and i would sit on the front porch of that house and the kids would run around and um, it's just a very peaceful spot and how did it happen i don't know but i just started to dream about having a place that felt like that, that felt like peaceful and the kids could just run around and there's space. And I sat on the porch and even kind of, I would like try to, you couldn't go into the house, but I would look through the old windows trying to figure out how many bedrooms there were. And I don't know if that was the seed exactly. I I think it may have been, there were probably others, Mm -hmm. but we, we began to dream this dream about not just having an apartment where we Mm -hmm. could invite people or not just having a house in the suburbs like we had in Florida, but having maybe even more than that to offer people. And you know what? I think it may also have come out of the experience of arriving in a place where it didn't feel like there was space for us. And I think that made me more sensitive to the people who might be feeling that as well. Like, where's there's no space for me anywhere. Where's a place for me? And it became important to, to think about, could I be a part of creating a place where there would be space for people? Mm. Maybe people who were you know, in transit and didn't feel at home anywhere. Could I, could I create something where they could have a sense of home? Or and That's such an interesting trajectory, Christy, to go from having an initial dream, having something small that was growing at a steady mm-hmm. pace in yeah. Chicago, and then to have it completely broken. Yeah. And then to dream something much bigger. Much bigger. Right? Because I think there's part of us that sometimes, not sometimes, I would say all the time feels like I, I'm not allowed. 
am I allowed to? Yeah. Like, am I allowed to dream this big thing? Am yeah. I allowed to even ask God? Am I allowed to say it out loud? Yeah. Or am I supposed to just hope for that the, the small version of it would be given back to me? Right, right. What do you think it is that sets you free to think, now I'm, I lost it completely, but now I'm going to dream a yeah, whole big whole version big of thing. it. You know what? It was a kind of freedom. I think because before community and gathering people, I had seen it as a kind of good work. I mean, oh, I enjoyed it, right, but, you right. know, it was this good thing I offered to people, right? Oh, it was hospitality. Yes. And I was, you know, uh, you know, I'm a firstborn. I do, <laughs> you know, people pleaser. You know, I check off the boxes. And so here was another good work. And it just happened to be one that um, I also enjoyed. Although you brought up about Jonathan being the extrovert. I'm a total introvert. So this does, I'm not saying that it was always easy mm. or that there weren't moments where a small group was headed over to our house where I just thought, oh, please let please let it start snowing so the whole thing gets canceled. <laughs> I mean, I think that way because I'm an introvert and I like being alone better than anything. But yeah, it was a kind of freedom because before it had been this good thing that I was offering. And then when I lost it and I realized God didn't need that for me and, and my church didn't need it for me and no one needed me to do that anymore. Then it just became something that that I wanted because it was good and I enjoyed it. It touched something deep in me and it was no longer I think I just had a better perspective on it I don't know how it happened but somehow that freed me then to to ask God for something I felt like I had been made for but it was no longer about me giving to him I think I just had the right perspective that this was going to be something that God gave to me oh interesting and not something like I was asking giving. him it really does sound like asking for abundance and I yes. think often I've been thinking the whole time you've been speaking, and I mm -hmm. hate to be that person who like slaps a Bible story on top of <laughs> a narrative. It annoys right me ahead. so much. <laughs> but I can't get away from the story of this idea. We believe in a God who breaks things in order to multiply things. Mm -hmm. And the most obvious story being with the loaves and the fish, this mm -hmm. concept of here's a little, mm -hmm. God breaks it, and then it's more. And what I've been thinking as you're speaking is this idea that the people, the 5,000 people that day— their only hope was to be fed. Like, please meet this basic need I right. have, right? Feed me. And it was a real good and legitimate need. It's a legitimate need. need. Please feed me. But Christ's response is to provide an abundance of what they need, way beyond their basic hunger. More hungry. than they needed. Baskets More overflowing. baskets overflowing. Yeah. And I think often we forget that is the kind of God that we worship. Yeah. He is a God who provides abundance, but I'm not just talking prosperity gospel here. It comes out of breaking. Yeah. He breaks things in order to multiply and provide abundance yeah. that very rarely looks the way we expected. The disciples certainly mm -hmm. didn't expect it. I'm sure the kid who gave his lunch had no clue that's mm -hmm. how it was going to turn out. But how interesting that you had this little you were offering God, and then mm -hmm. there was a season where it felt like he broke it, and then he provided way more than you needed just to meet your basic need of hospitality. Exactly. But an abundance that met the needs of many other people, but also fulfilled in you a sense of who God had, had designed you to be. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. That's how it happened. So you're in Florida. You're having these thoughts. You see this field and there's a rundown barn. Yeah. I feel that that's really interesting. And I actually did not know that, yeah. that you had seen a rundown barn yeah. there. Yeah. And that's where you and John basically are like, we're going to have a barn on our property one day and host yeah. events. We did. Well, that's I don't so even know if we knew what we would do it with the barn. It probably wasn't a direct line. <laughs> how interesting that the yeah. barn seed was planted then. Yeah. We knew 
And again, it's so hard to know how did we know, but we knew enough that when he was offered a job out of Florida, and we said, yes, yes, we'll take it, we'll go. <laughs> and we uh, flew up to Pennsylvania to look for a place. We told the realtor that we wanted a couple acres. I talked about how in previous episode, how I wanted to garden. And But we also said it needed to have a barn. It needed to have some sort of gathering space. And to be honest, at that point, we didn't know what that meant. If that meant we were having parties or if it meant some another family would be living with us, we didn't know. We mm-hmm. just had this sense of community, of sharing our home, and we knew it needed to be more than just the house, I think, mm-hmm. in order to do that. And so we looked at properties with barns. And one of the things I love about Maplehurst is it hasn't even just been about the barn and you opening that, but you guys opened up the third floor of the house and have had people mm-hmm. live with you here mm-hmm. and have had mm-hmm. writers come and stay with you. I yeah. was one of them. Yes. And family members stay with you. And you've always you've always viewed this as a place that is to be offered to other people. Right. And that was from the beginning as well. While I was living in Florida, I visited um, a friend in Chicago. I only went back to Chicago once, but... After I had left, she had moved, and she'd moved into an old house. And I realized when I was staying with her that old houses have extra bedrooms. (laughs) Um, They're just not built the way that our contemporary houses are, where we put all the space in, like, the great room or the kitchen and, you know, the big public rooms. Um, But old houses, just, you know, families were larger or, you know, even families who weren't that well-to-do maybe had one housekeeper or one, you know, uh, one helper in the kitchen. And so they just had extra bedrooms. And I was staying with her and realizing, oh, if we want to have a house to share, we should look for an old house because it'll have more bedrooms. And so uh, when we got to Pennsylvania, that's what we did. We started looking for an old house with extra bedrooms and a barn. To create space for other people. Mm-hmm. But that barn, though, is right. <laughs> really only good for cats. I mean, <laughs> I was scared to let my children play in there for a long time, lest they you get, like, some disease from pricking I, themselves on a rusty object. <laughs> I, when my kids would call it a barn, I would even tell them, it's not a barn. You can't call it a barn. I was embarrassed to call it a barn. I know. I mean, they it, could have caught tetanus in there at any point, really. <laughs> I would only let myself call it a shed. Right. Because I felt like it wasn't even worthy of the name you guys it was so janky and run down (laughs) and every it really became a dumping ground for all kinds of old things on the property it wasn't good for anything so we would just put i barred my children from playing in there yes if i saw a child with bare feet headed there i would scream (laughs) at them stop (laughs) you're gonna catch something first of all put on shoes and then just still don't even go in that barn um (laughs) how long was that so that's been a long time i mean you guys have been six years six years that six years we had that red shed Shed. (laughs) that i wouldn't call a barn you know it's so funny so i've thought like well, why? Why? <laughs> what I I call it the placeholder. That was our placeholder oh, barn. Yes, our placeholder for a dream. Yeah, you know we we just had the vaguest idea of what we were looking for when we moved. But in order to be faithful to what we felt like God had shown us, we knew it needed some sort of outbuilding, some sort of barn. And so I don't think we would have bought this place. I don't think we would have pursued it if it hadn't had the red shed. Wait, that is so interesting. Even though that red shed slash barn did not become the dream. Right. It was a placeholder right. for the dream. Right. And that is what made you step into this next exactly. step. If it hadn't wow. been here, I don't I don't I think we would have kept looking. Even though we could look and see it wasn't in great shape, but well, partially we didn't realize how bad a shape it was at first. Like but yeah. I mean, it was the smallest version of a small tiny dream. Yes. It was the seed yes. of a barn. Yes. And a couple weeks ago, some Amish neighbors came and they tore down 
the red shed. shed. <laughs> they tore down <laughs> the small placeholder dream so that we could build a new barn. You guys, I wish you could see how big I'm smiling right now. Yeah. And we will absolutely put photographs in the show notes so you can see because it is beautiful to literally stand inside somebody's dream realized mm -hmm. that came out of really small, broken moments. Mm -hmm. Of course, even when I showed you the barn for the first time, wasn't I saying, okay, so this isn't finished right. and over the She's next year. She's making excuses for her barn. I do, I do. But you're right. It's good to just stop and stand and say, look what God has done. Right. If you haven't listened to episode two, go back and listen because we talk a lot about that idea of longing, not just for the future, but also learning to long for the present. And Christy's barn is such a beautiful representation of that, truly. I mean, you mm -hmm. get to stand there with your mm -hmm. own feet. Mm -hmm. And you, the kids were playing in there today, and I think there were some of them that were barefoot because yeah. now it's cleared out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that it's really, and it's funny because it's the same dream in some ways, mm -hmm. right? I mean, mm -hmm. the same way that we gathered in Chicago with you guys in that small apartment building. Yeah. We will now gather in the same way in this barn. Same ministry, same message. Yeah. Just same, multiplied. Multiplied. Like the same bread, the same loaves and fishes, same the same supper, you know, the same food. Right, just more. Um, but more, yeah. And interestingly enough, not more for you. More, no. Not you, more for no. you and John, but more for the people so yeah. that you can invite them. More for the, I mean, Christy was showing me around the barn. Here's the handicapped accessible bedroom. Here's mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. loft where writers can stay. Here's this idea that it's more for other people, which is really, in essence, what Christ did when he multiplied the food. It was more for everybody else. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I hope that there's some, do you think there's some hope in that story for people <laughs> yes, who maybe... that's why we're telling the story. Because I feel like it's hard when, when you have so little, and then even that is taken, or even that feels like it, you can't do it. Right. You know, I didn't have what it took to to even start right. a small group. Or it got broken yeah. or somebody walked on it. And yeah. I don't know anybody who hasn't lived through a season like that. And I also know that there are no shortcuts, unfortunately. Unfortunately, right. The only way through is through. That's the only way I know. Mm. But in the middle of those small things that we feel like might be slipping through our fingers is the promise of a good God that he is the God who says thank you and then breaks the bread. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we are just living through the breaking. Mm. And yeah. it's hard. It's very, very, I mean, we'll just be honest with you and say that part is very difficult. It is, yeah. There's no shortcut around that. It's yeah. just painful. So when you look at the barn now, it's not just a shed anymore. It's not just a placeholder. It's an actual barn. So right. what you hoped for when you were in Florida in a park with your kids right. is a reality here now. You know, and wait, let me just okay. say this. So I think those of us listening, it's easy to be like, wow, check that off the list, Christy. Dream accomplished. Do you feel that way now? No. How do you feel when you look no. out the window? Okay. Can I say that again? No. <laughs> I don't feel that way. I think to some extent, I should let myself feel a little bit more that way. Yes, look at this. Something has been accomplished. But what I still see in a way is another kind of placeholder. Hmm. Not only because the barn isn't finished, literally it isn't finished. Like I can't, we can't do anything in there today. It doesn't even have a floor. Uh, you know, it's not finished. But it's more than that. I think because I've walked through that process of having even sort of small dreams <laughs> die, and I could share about others. Um, I could share about big ones in terms of career, things that maybe are bigger even than this barn story um, that I've, you know, seen die. I think one thing I've learned is that even when you dream the dream, 
even when you work toward the dream, pray for the dream, and then begin to see it realized, you still don't know what that dream is going to look like when it becomes reality. So you asked, or I think you said, you know, it's, is it reality now? And I know that it isn't yet. It's, it's beginning. There's another kind of placeholder there. And I know that the dream itself, I've only begun to glimpse. And whatever it really is, it's going to happen in that space between those four, you know, barn walls. But do I know exactly what's going to happen there and who's going to be there and what it's going to all be about? I don't. I'm getting new glimpses every day, but that part hasn't happened yet. That is still unrealized. And that makes me feel nervous because, oh, there's more work to be done. Am mm-hmm. I up to it? What could go wrong? And so on. But also makes me fee- feel like free and excited. Like, oh, right, it's not up to me. Right. There's, there's more to receive and I'll be a part of it, but it's not up to me to realize it. Do you feel afraid in the sense that, and you and I have had this conversation, having walked through things that have become broken in your life, you know, that you felt them break, even now that you've seen on the other side a sense of abundance come out of that, do you feel afraid walking forward for like, what is God going to do with this thing now? Is going to break it in a whole new way? Like, what terrible thing do I have to look forward to? Is that just my crazy head? No. Uh, yes and no, I'll say. Mm. Yes, in the sense that I'm human and... I sometimes have nightmares where the whole house burns down. Oh, no. I'm staying here tonight. Please don't let that happen. If I smell, like if we let something burn in the oven and I smell a little smoke smell, (gasps) I immediately think, (gasps) you know. Oh, no. Fire. Right. We're going to lose it all. So, yes, I'm human. I absolutely fear and fear the worst and somehow, like, that has become a kind of shorthand vision of, you know, what the worst might be. trust a God whose nature is to break things in order to make more? I mean, I clarify that, but I do think it's in his nature to unexpectedly break the things we offer in order to create more. I mean, Mm -hmm. I struggle with that. I think that the great thing and the reason I say yes and no, I do and I don't fear, is that having walked through it in a few different ways, so not just with our experience in Florida— I look back at those times of breaking and what I see now, and even what I experienced at the time quite often, not always, not 24-7, but quite often, was comfort, a ne- you know, a nearness between me and the God I was praying to. I see, I see good things. I see how I was held. And so when I look back, I, I know that the things I fear the most are not worth fearing. Hmm. And I think you and I talked about last time I was here, we had an entire conversation about suffering and this idea that there is, I I used to believe that there are these great seasons in our life. So like your barn season, Mm -hmm, for example, mm -hmm. and then there are these really horrible seasons in Mm -hmm, our life where mm -hmm. we're going through periods of mourning or suffering or loss. Mm -hmm. And I used to be scared of God because I would feel like if I'm in a great season, Oh no! Your season for terror and horror is coming. <laughs> when will the God other shoe drop? Balance will, it out right. somehow, right? And He's a God who does. Who, he does break things in order to multiply things, and that's so scary because then I can't even enjoy the season I'm in because I'm so worried about this other season. And you said to me something that I wrote down at the time, and you talked about. I don't actually think <laughs> that's how God works. He's not creating suffering or allowing mm-hmm. suffering to balance out abundance. 
But instead, in the picture of a God who breaks bread, gives thanks, and then there is more, instead, he's with us in both of those seasons, and it's the withness that matters. Yes. And in both suffering and in abundance, we are experiencing his withness in a unique way. Yes. So in the seasons of abundance where you're having people come in and there's a barn and it's beautiful mm-hmm. and it just feels glorious here right now. The weather is exquisite. Our kids are running around. We sense the Holy Spirit and the joy of every good thing God has created. Right. But there's something about the season of breaking when you are living through it that God's withness then Truly, his same character of good and abundance and witness is experienced in a much deeper, personal, intimate experience where it's just his hand underneath you. Exactly. That is its own gift in the same way that abundance is a gift. Yeah. And so while I wouldn't say, even for my own experiences of hard times, and I certainly wouldn't say to anyone else who is suffering oh, this is a good thing. No. Aren't you glad no, to no, be no. where you are? <laughs> yeah, rejoice. Your life is so right. terrible. No, no. And yet, about my own hard times, I can say, even as I say, oh, don't ever want to go back there. Right. I can say, thank you. I can say, thank you for something. Mm. Um, and, you know, those things are, are, you know, just the personal gifts I received in those times. So there's, there's good available in all those seasons. And so in that sense, I'm not afraid. I'm not. Mm. Because you're not we're not worshiping a vindictive God who's right. like, she's had too much joy. I'm going to need to balance <laughs> right. it out with some really terrible things right. in our life. Instead, we are walking with a God who says, and maybe he sees them in a, some kind of a plane that we don't, where all he sees is the goodness he's mm-hmm. trying to give us mm-hmm. out of those experiences. Mm-hmm. I don't think he is thinking we should just celebrate about how terrible our life is right, right. now. right. But I do think maybe he's hoping that we will feel deeply how close he is, mm-hmm. how his heart is cut raw open and we are sliced into the very center of it when we're walking through that kind of suffering. Yeah, because we are loved always, whether things are going well or not well. And so in that sense, we are always safe. Mm. We're always safe. We don't have to be afraid no. in that same way of him. I don't know, you guys, that the Christy and I have arrived at that ourselves. I think we talk about these things because we are yes. trying to understand them right. and make sense of them in the seasons we've walked through. We're in our 40s and loss is a very real thing mm-hmm. that you don't arrive at this point in your life without having experienced. And so I know that the older I get, seemingly the more questions I have about yeah. God and for God, yeah. the less easy it is to just assume God is good and everything is happy in the end. It doesn't feel that way because I've seen different in my life. But at the same time, the more invested I am in understanding who God is in the middle of both abundance and heartbreaking places. And I think I'm happy to report the more willing he is to let us actually find that out about him. Mm. I think he is, he welcomes those hard questions mm-hmm. and answers us in ways where he demonstrates his own willingness to come and suffer with, to suffer with the way Jesus did. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be great one day, I've just had this like brief vision of maybe one thing that'll happen in that barn. Like maybe you and I will invite listeners. Maybe we'll have an out of the ordinary in real life podcast <laughs> recording. That would be great. We just stand up and share all our doubts about faith. <laughs> oh, maybe that's great. one thing. I don't know. Again, I don't know what's going to happen in those walls, but 
I kind of like the not knowing and because I bet it's going to be bigger than better than anything I can. Oh my gosh! So listen, imagine. let's peer pressure Christy into making that happen. <laughs> take if you're listening to this on your phone right now, take a screenshot of it and post it somewhere, like on Instagram, and then tag Christy and I, and just say, "I'm coming to the I'm barn." I'm coming to the barn. <laughs> <laughs> just say, "I'm coming to the barn." I'm at Lisa Joe Baker, and Christy's at Christy Purifoy. Seriously, screenshot this. Tell the people that you follow that Christy just invited all of us to her barn. <laughs> I, I think I did. I think. Uh. And just say you're coming to the barn where we can promise you we will not have all the answers. We will have many more, more questions, questions than you could ever imagine. Yeah, please do that, though. Send us a picture. Let us know that you're coming to the barn. And we'll promise our questions and a few more stories. Always stories. And there'll be good food that I can uh, promise. There you go. Not from me, but out of Christy's <laughs> kitchen. <laughs> Thanks, everyone.